Hello, we are Dana and Chris Adamson, and we wanted to share our story with y'all. Okay, Chris, um, Chris and I met in April of 86. My roommate at that time was getting married, and she was really concerned for me because she was jet-setting, having a great time with her engagement and wedding planning, and she just thought I was never going to find anyone to date. I spent a lot of time with my sister and brother-in-law in Fort Worth with their children not going out. So she felt compelled one day at lunch to tell everybody at her, her lunch table that she had a roommate that needed a date with a Christian guy. And so, yeah, so I felt like she came home and told me that. She was so excited, and I was pretty angry with her, but I felt like I was obligated to do this. Well, Chris was that blind date, and I really I came away from that blind date with two really strong impressions. The first one, I was pretty impressed with how cute he was. That's not what you expect on a blind date. And the second was how spiritually mature he was at that point. He was young, 24 years old. At the end of our date, he asked if he could pray for us before he walked me to the door. And that, that made an impression on me. Our relationship was very fast moving. We met in April and we married in August. We basically knew each other for two months, got engaged, and then married two months after that. Now, I'm not proposing that that's the best way to do it. That's just how we did it. Um, And two of those months, Chris was out of state. He was working in Montana. Was it Montana, I think? And I mean, that, think back 29 years ago. That's before laptops, before cell phones, before texting. So there wasn't a lot of interaction those two months, but we got married. Um, the first two years for us were good. Um, we were growing as getting to know each other. We were transitioning into a married couple. We lived in a tiny efficiency apartment in North Dallas because I had signed that lease in April, never knowing I'd be married in August. Um, we were both teachers and coaches. We were very busy, but we were definitely growing as a couple. As I said before, Chris was a mature, committed believer at that point, and I really wasn't. Um, I had become a believer at a young age, but I didn't, I didn't grow in my faith. I didn't mature in my faith. Um, I grew up in a Christian home um, in Mississippi, and if you know anything about small towns in the South, you know that all the activities revolve around church and revolve around school, so I was always at church. But I never knew what it meant to be intentional with my relationship with the Lord, to truly seek Him, what it meant to live a surrendered life to Him. I didn't grow in those areas. Chris was a great example for me. He would get up each day and spend time with the Lord. He met once a week with some other men for accountability and Bible study, and um, that made a strong impression on me. He, was, he never judged me. He was never condescending. He just went about his relationship with the Lord, and he became the biggest spiritual influence of my life during that time. I had the blessing of growing up in a Christian home, and especially when it comes to my father. He was a very godly man. Um, I think one of the things he said, um, many things over time, but one of the things that meant the most to me is I was probably 17, 18 years old, sitting around having dinner with them. The girls were gone someplace. And I coached my little sister's soccer team, had for several years, and basketball and all that stuff. And uh, you get to know a lot of the parents and what they do well and don't do well. And I remember sitting at the dinner table, and I'm kind of a gabber. So I'm, Dad, what, why does he do that? Dad, Dad, why is that man not involved in, you know, and asking all these questions, and my dad's not much of a talker, so he just, you know, I don't know, Chris. I don't know, Chris. Well, after about 30 minutes, I think I apparently took a breath, and he thought it was over. So he got up, walked to the sink, put his dishes down, and then he was walking back in the den. And as he was walking in there, it dawned on me that my dad did all the things that you were supposed to do and didn't do the things you were 
you know, not supposed to do. And I remember saying, Dad, how come you were at every ball game I ever played? How come we would come home from a family trip before we got home, you with excitement would be telling us about where we're going to go next on our next family trip? Um, Why did you pursue mom and stay with mom when most men would have punted? And as I'm asking this, I remember he's kind of looking back at me, kind of a little bewildered, like, why are you asking this? I don't understand. And I said, Dad, Dad, why'd you do that? And I'll never forget, he's looked back and said, it just wasn't going to be any other way. And he walked back to the den. And I understand at that moment from my dad, he knew what God told him to do as a godly man, a godly husband, and a godly dad. He was going to do it. More on that later. Uh, yes, uh, we did go on a blind date. It was uh, a lot of fun. Uh, she was beautiful. She was athletic. And she's the only girl every day that could brag in her family as much as I could about mine. And I loved how family-oriented she was. Uh, you know, you think you know what you want in a spouse. And I'm, I, I mean, it's just like God spoke to me. He said, yeah, you think you know what you want. And I'm going to give you what you want, but I'm going to give you so much more in a spouse than you could ever dream of, things you don't even know you need. And he did. Um, I remember talking to my mom, um, and she, before we got, you know, we were dating, and it was summer. And like she said, we're both teachers and coaches. And she goes, "Uh, Chris, you love that girl? Yeah, mom, I love that girl. You going to marry her? Yeah, mom, I'm going to marry her. Well, when are you going to marry her? Well, mom, we're both school teachers. It's going to have to be next summer. You know, we don't have time. She kind of, you'll be married for the end of the summer. Kind of stopped for a minute. I thought, hmm, why not go ahead and get married and get to enjoy all the pleasures that come along with being married? So I said, I think we will get married. Uh, 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 Babies came, got to be parents, and we both just have a burning desire to be parents. Um, life continued for us, and we had three children in three years. And I think we may have a picture of them. Um, now their ages are 27, 25, and 24. I get kind of emotional. The bride and groom there are actually in the back of the room tonight. So anyway, we're glad that they're here. But Chris and I will both tell you that um, our children are our life's greatest blessings. Um, but for me, that's where things got a little bit, the priorities got a little bit out of order. Um, you know, I think sometimes in life when God does bless us with something tremendous, um, we tend to turn that blessing into idols. And by idols, I mean that we elevate it to a position it shouldn't be, and we get our priorities out of order. And that's what happened to me. I love being a mom. I'm passionate for that. And both of those things are good. But the problem was I probably made them a higher priority than Chris, and I wouldn't have reckon- I didn't recognize that then, and I wouldn't have surely admitted that but I didn't have much time or energy or emotion left just for Chris. Now, most understand this. We did most everything together as a family. It wasn't like we were separating from one another, but I didn't carve out enough just for him. And this wasn't because um, Chris wasn't pulling his load. He's a great dad. When I asked him before we ever married, like, what do you want out of this life more than anything else? His answer was, I want to be a great dad. And I thought that was unusual for a 24-year-old who wasn't even married at the time. And Chris is a great dad. Um, You can ask our girls, and they'll tell you that they think they have the only dad that's involved in every single part of life. 
you know, they got to be teenagers. It really wasn't awkward for Chris to be a part of the conversations about body image and boyfriends and things like that. I mean, that's all they ever knew. He was in the middle of every conversation. He loved taking them shopping and to buy makeup and to go to chick flicks and pedicures. He just, anything they wanted to do, he really did want to do that. And he and Braxton, um, our son, have always been just best friends. That was his best friend when Braxton got married three summers ago, actually. Um, Chris was his best man because Chris really is his be- was his best friend. So you see, it wasn't, I, di- I didn't kind of take on this over doing everything for the kids because Chris wasn't doing his share. It was really about me. Um, I enjoy my kids. I still do. They're still my favorite people. Um, And serving them wasn't a burden or a sacrifice. It's something that I enjoyed, and I'm sure got some type of fulfillment out of that. It's more natural for me to be a mom than it is to be a wife. And um, so I just kind of fell into that. Chris confronted me about the lack of time we were spending together, and I really wasn't very receptive. Um, I just thought, Chris, they're only young once. Let's just dive into this. Let's do kids. We can do us later. I really wasn't intentional in a very practical way about establishing the priorities in our marriage, and so therefore they really weren't established. And other issues came along with that. Um, I didn't properly respect Chris all the time. I'm not naturally a sweet-spirited, gentle person. Um, I grew up in the sports world, and it's very direct, very competitive, very about the business, and that's kind of how I interacted with Chris during those times too. Now, this wasn't a daily issue, but it it developed into my showing respect for Chris when I thought he deserved it or when I agreed with him. You know, it's amazing to me as I look back how easily I fell into justifying my sin. I honestly felt like, you know, I was just disrespectful because Chris did something wrong, and if he would just do what's right, then I would respect him. And it was so easy for me to justify that sin. We started having babies, and I became the head basketball coach in Vicksburg, Mississippi. And one thing, after coaching here in Texas and going there, there they have no rules. You can practice 365 days, 10 hours a day if you want. And when you're getting your brains beat out your first year, that's exactly what you do. And so start practicing a lot. And I, I would come home, and I was still home probably a decent amount for Dana Stannard. And I was engaged in the kids. I did a lot with the kids. But Dana strictly got the leftovers. And there's many times I, I would... When I was home, she'd say, Chris, you're here, but you're not here. And my brain was thinking about how I'm going to solve this problem and take care of this kid and handle the discipline problem, whatever. And being a, a coach, I had 12 kids in my team, 11 of them. Uh, if a, I never had more than one that had a, both parents at home. So you have 11 kids that don't have a daddy at home and you know, three or four messing up at one time. You don't do a lot of, hey, could you please put that down or could you please behave in class? You, know, you start, hey, you're going to do that. Did I tell you to do that? You do it again, and the problem is when you start bringing that home, it caused problems. I became very short, impatient, abrupt, forceful, and that's not how God says a man's supposed to be. You know, it's amazing how God takes a Satan, takes good things, and he twists it. He can take something that's good. I was having an impact on their kids for Jesus Christ, but I wasn't having an impact on my own family like I was supposed to for Jesus Christ. And so I was putting too much energy, thought, time into my career. Uh, uh, you know, like that song that's out, I don't remember the title of it, but it says, you know, strong hands, leave them with strong hands and give them the best of your life. I was not giving my family the best of my life. Um, turning point came many nights, the third year we were there. Dana was upset many nights and 
crying. And I remember it got to one point where she just said, you don't make me feel love. You don't show me love. But if you just tell me every once in a while, I'm going to be here for good. And I thought, how pitiful that I put my wife in that position where if I just give her a few words every once in a while, she'll get by. And so made the playoffs, third year, sitting there watching my kids across the gym. She's holding a newborn baby in this hand, one and a half year old in that hand. My son's running over here at two and a half. And I remember thinking, mm, I haven't been the kind of husband that I need to be. And, and, and really, even though I'm spending time with my kids, I need to show them how I love their mama. And so I remember saying, I'm going to quit before the game even started. I remember saying to myself, my career was not going to be my God. My career was not going to be more important to my family. Uh, my kids were going to know their, their dad. I was going to build more memories with them than they could remember, and I wanted closeness with Dana. You know, a lot of times God uses what's most precious to you to get your attention, and that's what he did with me. Um, he used my kids. I was at some church service. I don't know if it was a Bible study or a sermon or whatever, but the speaker said, do you want your son to marry someone just like you? And man, my answer was, heck no. That's not what I wanted for Braxton. I wanted a lot better for him. Um, and whenever God got my attention of that, Ephesians 5.22 really took on a new meaning for me. It says, wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife as Christ is head of the church. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit, to the, should submit to their husbands in everything. And then 33, verse 33 says, the wife must respect her husband. Now, during these years, I had grown a lot in my faith, and I was much closer to God. I was very fortunate to be involved in a, in a very good in-depth Bible study, Bible study fellowship, and around some godly women who I learned a lot from during that time. And so... Um, God made it clear to me that I had an obedience issue. It really had nothing to do with Chris. It was about it was between me and God, and he let me know that. Um, I accepted the fact that he created marriage, and he's the one that set up the order of marriage, and that obedience to God would be played out in my submitting and respecting Chris in a way that would honor him regardless of how I felt. Now, honest, this wasn't easy, and it certainly wasn't natural to me at that point. But something else God told me was that my feelings, um, regardless of how I felt, I needed to be obedient to him. And I learned, so, us women, we feel things so deeply that we feel like if we feel something strongly enough, that, that that's got to be truth. It's got to be. Well, it's not. You know, I couldn't base my actions and my life decisions on what I felt in that moment. I had to base it on what God's word said and what truth was. And also know this about God, that God blesses obedience. When you do what God asks you to do, he always blesses that. And I, he proved himself there again. And the ironic part is, as much as I wanted to give my kids everything, that strong foundation before they left home to go to college and to live their adult life, by putting them ahead of Chris, I really miss um, many opportunities to show him what a godly wife would look like in certain situations. Now, I've admitted this to them many times. They've had, we've had these conversations, and my prayer is that God redeems this and uses it for good in their lives, and they don't repeat that same mistake or sin, actually. The other part of that story, when Dana asked me, what did I want to be when I was 24 years old? And I said, I want to be a, a, a good dad. Um, I remember we had a deep conversation there, and I remember asking me, well, how do you know? How do you know you're going to be a good dad? And I remember leaning forward and don't worry about it. It ain't going to be any other way. 
problem is when it came to being a good husband, I never promised her it wasn't going to be any other way. Oh, it was fine. It was good enough. It was okay. But that's not what God intended for marriage. God intended for marriage to be the best example of the gospel of Jesus Christ on earth. It's supposed to be full of unconditional love, forgiveness, mercy, and grace. And, and, and I needed to do that. Uh, Dana was growing a lot at this time. And, and probably at that time, uh, for a few years there, I was probably coasting some spiritually. I was coasting spiritually. And I remember looking up and thinking, hmm, Dana's kind of initiating most of the family quiet times. Matter of fact, Dana's kind of leading most of the family quiet times. And I remember God saying, get off your lazy spiritual butt and you be the spiritual leader of this family. I've called you to do it. You do your job. And, and, I, just, you know, and I said, I got to start doing that. I got to get back and get right with God and growing in my faith. See, God calls her to respect me. Now, I'm supposed to commands me to love her. Now, I can sit there and go, well, respect me. Hey, God told you to do it. That's your problem. You got to do that. But my role in that is to be easy for her to respect. And when I'm a godly man and I'm, I'm, I'm pursuing God, it's a lot easier for her to respect me. Um, we got involved in Marine Gage, got to see the blessing it was in the Cox's life over here and how it just transformed them. And they've been a major blessing to us and how they've taught us so much. Um, God, God just really stopped me and said, Chris, are you gonna be a good steward of this great blessing I've given you? Because Dana's, the, you know, I'm gonna date myself. Y'all don't remember Amy Grant, but she sang a song a long time ago. It says, Laura, Laura's a, a, a kind of woman She's the kind of woman that loves her, loves her family with her life. Well, Dana loves our family with her life, and our kids will tell you that. Um, she's given up everything for her family. And I said, you know, what am I going to do with this? What am I going to do with this? And I really started convicting that I need to take good care of this blessing that God's given me. Our first lesson at Reengage when we came is um, about God's love. We learned the difference between God's love and human love. And I never knew that my love for Chris was insufficient for a godly marriage. Never learned that. Um, and I can only love Chris well and honor God in our marriage if God's love is just overflowing um, out of me. So what I learned, and this was kind of freeing to me, it wasn't that I wasn't trying hard enough. I just wasn't trying the right way. And what I needed to do is to really press into my relationship with Christ and grow closer to him, fall more in love with him. And as I did that, then my love for Chris, it just, it changed to me. And so it changed um, the kind of wife that I was also. And let me emphasize this is that our marriage was, was never bad. If you were on the outside looking in, you would have said, they have a good marriage. You know, they're this, their kids are good, their kids are respectful. You know, from the outside, we had all the stuff on the outside that looked really good. What we were doing is we were settling for what the world says a good marriage and didn't intend to, but for a lot of years, we kind of settled into what the world says is a good marriage. And God has so much more for us than that. We're still a work in progress. We have other issues now. But um, what we both understand is that God has established um, in his word what marriage is supposed to look like. And we invite God, and we're intentional about inviting God into all the areas of our life and trying to do it the way God wants it done. Um, 
We always had that big picture of what we wanted our marriage to look like, what we wanted our family to look like. But the problem was, is we weren't always intentional with those daily little decisions that would get us to that big goal. And now we've learned to be more intentional or know we should be intentional with those daily decisions that get us to that. So I guess our challenge for you is don't settle for what the world says a good marriage is because God has so much, so much more for you than just what the world has to offer. Thank you all for letting us share. Thank you. That's awesome. Okay, I want you to take those cowboy boots off and show us that pedicure. Oh, gosh, there's so many places to go and in so many different ways to wrap this up. First John 5.21 tells us to watch out for the idols. And so you heard in their story how easy it is, even the good things, y'all, to put your kids above your spouse, to put the job above your spouse, to put your sports above your spouse. So whatever that is, man, I pray tonight that their story just hit home and that as you get ready to go into open group or closed group tonight, that you're thinking, hey, what is it in my marriage that has, has taken first place instead of the Lord? The order of our marriage should be, it is the Lord first above all. See Colossians 1.17. And then right below the Lord should be our spouse. And so how are we doing with that order? Are we, are we worshiping and loving the Lord first and spending time with him so that we have everything that we need to love and serve that spouse? Now, what you don't know, this is the couple that came to our house at 1.30 in the morning of the night of the naked 911. <laughs> Do you see what the Lord does? God takes his people, his word, and his spirit to work in the lives of all of us. And so, man, we love you more than the air we breathe. And thank you tonight for blessing us with what God is doing. Hey, you're in for a real treat tonight. We are getting ready to celebrate with six groups that are finishing tonight. Where's the confetti and the party horns? Where are they? Yeah. So it's awesome. Yeah. So tonight, these, these groups are finishing Team Brewster, Team Commode, Team Malden, Team Pearson, Team Redding, and Team Taylor. And so way to go. Congratulations. That's awesome. So when we break, you guys are going to, the, the guys that are celebrating are going to leave this room, hook a right, hook a right, go across the skywalk, um, take the elevator to the third floor or the stairs, whichever. And we can't wait to celebrate with you and to hear just how God has moved in your hearts and through your marriages. If tonight is your very first time, when we break, we're going to ask that you all join us down front in these front three rows and give Roll and I a chance to just meet you and love on you and help answer any questions that you might have about what it would look like to take next steps and re-engage. If you have already been to newcomers, then you will get to choose one of the four open groups, which is room 208, 210, 211, and 212. And then hallelujah, we're launching two more closed groups, the Hardages and the Crooks. Give it up for them. Yeah, they'll be launching tonight too. And so... You should have received an email with your room assignment. Of course, it's on the screen as well, room 13 and room 22. Guys, thank you for being here. Let's go make it the best night ever.